0: Hey, it is. I'm Bill Stevens. I'm the other pastor that's that's uh, that's here with Jim, and the two of us have, uh, had, when we when we got this thing started five years ago at here at Ascent, we uh, we we basically just came together and said, "Come on, let's just let's just do this." Let's just do this church in a way that just can, can, um, can introduce and, and share Jesus in such a fresh and loving way, and we hope that that's what's happening around here. Some people have asked us um, how Jim and I got started and, and how the two of us really first came about, and some people think that we've been buddies since like high school or something. That's not true. Jim and I met on the a, uh, a, 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 um, staff in Boulder at First Press Church in Boulder, a great church in there that we, uh, that we worked to, with a, a group of people there, and, um, and we were kind of the young guys then. We were the ones that, Jim was running middle school ministry, and he was running this really great middle school ministry that he called Fishy, kind of a dumb name, but he, he, uh, he, uh, it, but he, he, he ran a really great middle school ministry. In fact, Jim is one of the best middle school pastors that I've ever, that I'd ever been around. I mean, just his passion that he had for those kids and the way that he communicated with them. Um, so Jim was doing middle school, and I was doing college. And, and so we were, the annex, the ministry that I was running, man, it was growing. So both these things were growing. There are hundreds of college students on a Tuesday. Wednesday night hundreds of middle school students on a Wednesday night and uh, and so what happened is we would do this and and there, inevitably something wrong would happen, and we 'd have to then take it on the chin when we 'd get together with our with our with the bigger staff, see all the pastoral staff would get together and Jim and I'd sit there and, in the, in the corner and they would they would say they 'd always start the meeting with does anybody know how this happened? You know Does anybody know how we got a hundred finger blasters into the the, the, the roof into the into the rafters in the sanctuary, finger blasters are so those little rockets that you could shoot. And I'm sitting back there, and I'm going, it was Jim. It was Jim. He did it. And it always was Jim. He was always doing stupid things with his middle schoolers that was getting all of us in trouble. And so, so it, but then every once in a while, it was me, too. We had a kid that, that brought his golf club to us to, a, um, to a, a, a study time that we had on a Friday night there. And he, and he chipped the ball, and it chipped a divot into the carpet. You know, so we had to, yeah, that was us. That was us. We chipped a divot into the carpet. You know, so... It, that kind of stuff kept coming up in the in the um, in these meetings. We had one one time where we had a candle that was sitting on, a, um, on the grand piano that they had in the sanctuary. It was this huge, black, beautiful grand piano, and my intern at the time was playing music on it, and he says, can I have this candle on there? And I said, okay, just be careful, because that thing, man, that's a sacred cow around here. Don't do anything stupid to that. And uh, and they were doing a skit, and they knocked the candle into the, um, into the strings of the grand piano, and all of the, the wax went all over into the... The strings of the grand piano, okay? So um, he comes up to me afterwards. I'm not going to tell you his name because he actually attends our church now. He attends here. Um, but Jeff came up to me, and and he said, he said, Bill, um, I, the candle spilled into the, into the, and I'm like, oh, Jim is going to give me crap next week, and so is everyone else. And, and, and I said, and he says, he says, do we need to say anything? And I thought, that's a good question. <laughs> you know? And I said, I said what do you think? I said, do you think that um, that wax might affect the sound? And he says, yeah, a little. And I said, all right. Um, um, do you think that they might tune that piano at some point and they'll see that wax in there? Yeah, they probably will all right, you're going to have to own this one, Jeff. You're going to have to own it. You're going to have to t- say that you did this. And so, so, you know, that kind of stuff happened. And it happened all the time. Between our middle school and our college ministry, we were always doing something stupid um, that, was, that, was, that was affecting the, the, the building. And thank God they were just so uh, grace-filled. They were. The, the, the pastoral staff and the, the team over there was so grace-filled with, with the stupidity that Jim and I would be running our ministries with. But there, there, was, a, there was a strategy behind it. See, Jim and I both knew. We knew that when we, were, when we were doing college ministry and we were doing middle school ministry, we knew that these, these, these people that would come in were coming in with, with walls around them. They were, these, they, were these, they were these cinder block walls is what we knew that they would come in and they'd go and we had to take bricks off of that wall. They'd come in with the walls and we'd have to say, okay, we got to take it off because the wall was that thing that was keeping them from engaging in anything that Jesus would have for them. See, Jim knew that middle schoolers, if their mom and dad was going to them and saying, Hey, do you want to go over to this church, to this ministry called Fishy, and go to this little group or whatever? They knew that a middle schooler's first wall, their cinder block is on that wall. If they'd look back at their parents and go, That sounds really what? Boring. That sounds really boring. And so Jim knew he had to take a cinder block off of that wall and make this accessible to a middle schooler that would initially call it boring. And he's going to go, no, this is going to be far from boring. You're going to shoot finger blasters into the, the, into the rafters. We're going to make it accessible, accessible to you. I knew with college students that they were coming in with cinder block wall around them that was going, man, I don't know if I want to engage in this. From their perception of the church, from their perception of other people that go to church, or they might not have it, but their friend is certainly going to have it, and they're not going to invite them to come to the annex because they have this cinder block wall of stuff. And I knew... I had to figure out ways to take blocks off the wall and make it accessible for every one of those college students. I knew that their wall was filled with their, their preconceived notion of church. We've told you this before, that there was a study that was done of what younger people think about church and the ones that aren't going to church, what they think about it. And, here, and, and, and they came out with these staggering statistics that 91% of younger folks think that the church is anti homosexual think it's judgmental, 85% thinks it's hypocritical, 75% says it's too political, and 72% says it's out of touch with reality, and 78% says it's old-fashioned, 70% says it's insensitive to others, and 68% join right along with the middle schoolers and just say it's flat boring. And so, that, so those are the walls that we knew were up. We knew that that was, that was what they were bringing in. And so we had to do all we can to make it accessible to them. And that was a big part of what we were trying to do with the annex and with Fishy. And then when Jim and I decided to do this church together, we knew that that was going to be a part of this church. We knew that if that's what people were bringing in and that's the walls that people had in, in college and middle school, you know that everybody else from years and years, we all have them. We all have stuff that can keep us from engaging. We have, we have cinder blocks. Some of us have three or four deep and it's just this high, but others have 15-foot high walls. That they're saying, this is, this, this is what keeps me from wanting to engage. And so Jim and I knew we had to make this place a place that was accessible to people. And so even in the way we kind of dream this stuff up, we're just going, let's, let's make it as accessible as possible. Let's make sure we have a really great team that meets people out in the parking lot, that maybe when someone parks their car, their first interaction with someone might take a brick off the wall. Maybe when they come inside, let's make sure we have a really awesome group of people that's part of our hospitality team that that is not just going to give them a donut, but is going to engage with them. And it's going to be great donuts and chai and all the stuff that we're getting. Let's make sure all that happens because those people and that interaction might take a cinder block off of a wall. Let's make sure that we're making this as accessible as possible. Let's make sure that we have uh, uh, our, our middle school ministries and our high school ministries and all of them are still accessible for anybody. That's why you see toilet paper hanging from a screen. You guys, I didn't plant that there. Chris Lagadros is just following in Jim's footsteps. And he's doing crazy things with our middle schoolers. You look down there and you think, gosh, were we vandalized? No, Lagadros was just at work. And those middle schoolers were throwing toilet paper everywhere. And now we have toilet paper in here. We want to make it accessible. We want to make it accessible to anybody. But you guys, this isn't just an idea that Jim and I have had. This isn't just something that we just thought, this, may, this would probably be effective in ministry. This is a characteristic of Jesus. See, we know that God is doing something powerful here at Ascent. We know that he is. And the best way that we believe to to stay right in line and follow right behind what God is doing is just to, to emulate Jesus in as many ways as we can. We're talking about this series called On Purpose because we want to live to the characteristics of Jesus, not only individually, but as a church. We want to live to the characteristics of Jesus. We want to be personal, because Jesus was personal. We want to be, we, we want to be inspiring, because Jesus is inspiring. We want to be generous, because Jesus is, a, is generous. We want to take risks, because Jesus took risks. And we want to be people that are accessible and we want to make this message accessible because Jesus was accessible. That's why we do the things we're doing. That's what On Purpose is all about. We're going to spend more time in Accessible this morning. Father, we pray that you would bless it. We're going to spend some time in your word today and I know that there are some people that, that that's new to them to look into your word. We pray that, that you'd help each one of us to, to stay paying attention that we grab hold of what you have to say for us. We know that your word does not come back void. And so we pray that you would speak to us through it and help us to understand a topic that we don't really think that much about, but we we'll see it in your son. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, I'm gonna get fired up. I haven't, man, that was just an intro. I'm really gonna get fired up in a second here because here's why. Jim and I have loved this series. we got to be honest with you. We have loved this series. This whole series on purpose, I think the reason why is because it's really fun to lead a church. It's really fun to lead them into the characteristics of who God is. It's fun to go, yes, let's be a personal church because Jesus is personal. It's fun to talk about that stuff. Next week, I get to talk about risk-taking, and it's fun to talk about taking risks because Jesus took risks. I love it. It's been fun to talk about this stuff. Well, this the accessible was an interesting one. I knew that I was going to be talking about accessible, so what I did is I just spent some time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in those four books, those four guys that wrote, that, that, that spent some time writing about the life of Jesus Christ. I spent some time reading it through those, and I just said, God, show me one case. Show me one place where Jesus made himself accessible to somebody and took a brick off of the wall that separated them from God. Show me just one. I mean, is there one in there? Gosh, I sure hope so, because if there's not, this is gonna be a pretty weak sermon, you know? So I'm just going, God, show me one place. And I started reading it, and I'm going, oh my gosh, there isn't a place that isn't an interaction that Jesus had with somebody that took a brick off of a wall. That Jesus wasn't accessible to. He was so stinking countercultural. cultural he, he, he did things that, that people were, were going, this isn't what you're supposed to do, but he did it, and, and he made himself accessible, and walls were being, were being broken down. And I'm, I'm reading this stuff, and I'm getting more and more fired up as I go. And so I just started reading. I'm going, well, which one of these stories should I tell? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to tell a bunch of them. And so settle in. Settle in. You know? Come on, if you get bored with this, if you don't want to listen to Scripture, if you don't want to read through this, get your phone out and go play play something. I don't care because we're going to go through some of this stuff because it fires me up what he's doing. Here's how I pictured it, you guys. Jesus first calls four people. He He calls Andrew and James and John and Peter. Those were the first four disciples of his. He says, come and follow me. They were fishermen. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so I started thinking about it. I started going, what was it it like? What was their perspective like as Jesus is making himself accessible? What was their perspective like? I I picture him sitting over here, someplace over here, and I just picture him kind of just going, following Jesus and then watching some of the interactions, just going, what is he doing? What is he saying? He's not supposed to do that. That doesn't fit with everything we've ever done in church or anywhere else? What is he doing? And, and, and Jesus continues to interact with these people, and they're watching it. So I was thinking, what's that perspective like? Listen to this. This is one of the first ones that you get. I'm going to be reading a lot from the book of Mark, and I'm going to be reading from, from just about the first six chapters of it, not all six chapters, but I'm reading some of those. And I'll give you some history that goes along with that. I'm going to read from a version called the J.B. Phillips version. Not very many people have that version, but I just love it. It's, the, it's just for the New Testament. And, and, and so I'm reading a little bit from that, okay? So here's one of the first interactions Jesus has with someone after he calls those four guys. He says this, A leper came to him, him, begging him and kneeling and said to him if you choose you can make me clean a leper came to him you guys lepers did not go to anybody lepers stayed in leper colonies and people that didn't have leprosy stayed as far away as someone with leprosy as they could because leprosy was disgusting it had a gr- it was gross sores that were on there and they were you can get they were infected and and no one wanted to be around that because they didn't want to get it themselves And so lepers stayed by themselves and everyone else stayed in a different place. This leper came to him and begging him and kneeling, he said to him, if you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Now we read that and we just go, Jesus healed a leper. But for those guys that were watching it, they had to be going, what is this guy doing walking towards Jesus? There had to be a part of them that would have wanted to tackle him, but they don't want to get near him either. What was it about Jesus that made himself so accessible that someone that would never even think of going towards, him, towards a healthy person actually walked right up to Jesus, and Jesus healed him? The disciples have to be sitting back there. You know, every once in a while, Maurice and Chris will sit back when Jim and I are saying something and they'll be talking and we know they're making fun of us for something. They're making fun of us for the fact that I have to wear reading glasses. They're making fun of us for something because we're way old now and we're not as relevant as those two guys are. And so I could picture the disciples like Maurice and Chris just going, what is he doing? Why is he doing that? But he heals them. And then they start to see it they start to see all different ways that these people were coming to Jesus. They started recognizing that the rich came to Jesus. Jesus made himself accessible to the rich and to the poor. He made himself accessible to the healthy and the sick. He was accessible to the good standing and the struggler. He was accessible to the wise and the uneducated. See, what we see, it seems like in churches, is we've separated them all out. He's just go, oh, that's, a, that's a, a well-educated church. Oh, that's a church. Th- that church has, has got a, some, some poor people in it. Churches are all separated out that way. And Jesus is going, man, I'm going to make myself accessible to everyone to someone with three blocks of, of brick in front of him and someone with 15 feet of brick in front of him. I'm going to make myself accessible to all of them. And the disciples started seeing that. Now look what happens. As Jesus went on his way, he saw Levi. Levi is Matthew, is one of the disciples, later becomes one of the disciples. As Jesus went on his way, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his desk in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. He goes to a tax collector and makes himself available to him, makes himself accessible to him. This this tax collector is a thief. This tax collector has been ripping people off all over the place. Everybody knows it. Everybody stays away from it. And he makes himself accessible to that guy. The disciples are sitting there and they've got to be going, not that guy. Oh my gosh, that's embarrassing that you're even talking to him. And then Jesus says, hey, Hey, Levi, come and follow me. Those guys got to be going, wait a minute. That's the same words you used when you talked to us on that boat. You told us to follow you. And now you're telling that guy to follow you. Are you telling that guy to join us? Wait. I get it that you heal the leper. But now you're asking him to join us and we have to share life with this guy? That's embarrassing. What about our reputation? What about our church? That's, That's our church you're messing with. That's us. And you're inviting that guy into our church? And you can just picture Jesus just going... Whose church? Whose church? Is that your church? Or is that my church? Because in my church, I want to make this accessible for everyone. Now he keeps going. Levi got up and followed him later when Jesus was sitting at dinner in Levi's house. Now I'm going to stop again real quick here. I want to give you guys a little history with this, okay? You guys... Whenever you see people sitting for dinner at someone's house, know this. Back then, the leaders in the church would look at sitting down for dinner as a microcosm of the temple and their interaction at the temple. See, at the temple, they believed God was in the center. and and believe this was the Holy of Holies, and there's only one person that could be allowed in that space, and that was the high priest once a year. Outside of that curtain, it was another area that the other priests could come to, but they couldn't get to the Holy of Holies. Outside of that is where Jewish men could go. Outside of that is where Jewish women could go. Outside of that is where the Gentiles could go. Anybody that wasn't Jewish could go outside of that. But there was a separation all the way to the presence of God. And and people, the religious leaders believed that when they were sitting down for a meal, it was a microcosm of that temple experience. And so they would never, never sit down for a meal with someone that wasn't exactly like them. They'd never sit down in a meal with anybody that wasn't at the same stature as they were. And then here comes Jesus and says, I'm tearing the curtain. Here comes Jesus saying, there is nothing that's going to separate any one of these people from their access to me. And so he says this, he sits down at Levi's house, a large number of tax collectors and disreputable folks came in and joined him and his disciples. For there were many such people among his followers. Jesus had people from all sorts as, as people that were following him. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating in the company of tax collectors and outsiders, they remarked to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, It is not the fit and flourishing who need the doctor, but those who are ill. I did not come to invite the righteous, but the sinner. He looked at them and said, Look, I am not doing a country club of perfect people. This is going to be anybody that's going to come walking into my, into, into my presence. Then came a man called Jairus, one of the synagogue presidents, so one of the leaders in the church. And when he saw Jesus, he knelt before him, pleading desperately for his help. My little girl is dying, he said. Will you come and put your hands on her? Then she will get better. And the disciples have got to be going, all right, draw a line somewhere, Jesus. Okay, you're going to heal somebody. Okay, you're going to invite this tax collector in with us, but now you're going, to, you're going to go help this guy that probably will never believe in what you have to say. He's just needing you for just this certain thing. He just wants to use you for this, and then he's going to move on to something else, and you're going to actually help him out. You're actually going to make yourself accessible to this guy. And this is where Jesus, I think, stays, stands up, and he says to his people, I think this is right where he's going, you guys, look, my love is too powerful to let it be insulated to just a certain group of people. My love is too powerful for just a few people to get to hold on to, for a few, few people to get to experience. My love is so stinking powerful that Jarius needs to know about it. Jarius needs to see it He's to know that it's going to go, it's going to extend beyond anything you could possibly comprehend. No matter what you guys have seen so far, my love is that powerful. So I have got to go to Jairus. So then we keep going. Jesus went off with him, followed by a large crowd, jostling in his elbows. Among them was a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and who had gone through a great deal in the hands of many doctors, spending all her money in the process. So he's going off to Jairus' house, and now this woman comes up to him, this woman that has been bleeding for 12 years. She went to doctors, and they had no idea why. Why was she bleeding? And so they concluded that she just must, it must be something to do with menstruation and, that she, and, and, she's, and she's just been going on and on for 12 years. And we look at that and I go, that's an odd, odd conversation. That's an odd thing. But she came and she touched Jesus' cloak and she was healed and Jesus felt that. He felt that somebody had done that and he said, hey, wait, wait, someone touched me. Someone touched my cloak and I know something happened. And, and, and the rest of the disciples are, come on, Jesus, you got all kinds of people all around you as we're heading to Jerry's house. And he says, no, 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 there was somebody. And then this woman, get this, okay? This woman scared and shaking all over because she knew that she was the one to whom this thing happened. She was scared and shaking all over, you guys, because the rule was, if you were, if a woman was menstruating, a woman had to stay outside of, the, of where everyone else is at for seven days. She was considered unclean for seven days. Now, this woman, for 12 years, has had a problem. And, and so she has been ostracized from everybody. She's been pushed aside. She's been living in isolation. She hasn't been able to, to, to go anywhere. She's been looked at as just she is unclean, no matter what the doctors say, no matter how much money she's spending to try to get this fixed. She's just going, she has been living in isolation. And she comes to Jesus because he was accessible And he heals her. She comes scared and shaking all over because she knew that she was the one to whom this thing had happened, came and flung herself before him and told him the whole story. Now, the disciples could sit there and they could just go, okay, so you did this thing with Jairus, you did this thing with this leper, and you did this thing with Matthew, but holy smokes, now you're gonna, why do we have to sit and listen? I get it that you healed her, but do we have to sit and listen to her whole story? Do we have to listen to all of that? We got stuff we've got to do. And I believe Jesus is standing up there to his disciples and he's saying, you guys, this relationship is too important for me not to hear the story. The relationship is too stinking important. You guys, there's one thing about saying I'm accessible. There's one thing about saying I'm a church that wants to be accessible. There's another thing when you're saying, I'm going to listen to their story. This is a place that's safe enough that you can tell your story. It's a place that's not going to be filled with judgment or condemnation. And you can share your story. Are we a place, individually and corporately, It's listening to someone's story. Not to correct them, not to change them. Just to listen to them. She told her whole story to him. Probably talked about that life of isolation. And he listened to it because he said, this relationship is too important for me not to sit and hear her story. They keep going. After this... They left that district and came into his own native town followed by his his disciples. So they left that. They left the woman. They left Jairus. They went to this district, came to his own native town, followed his disciples. When the Sabbath day came, he began to teach in the synagogue. The congregation was astonished and remarked, where does he get all this? Where is this wisdom that he's been given? And what about these marvelous things that he can do? He's only a carpenter. Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and his sisters are living here with us and they were deeply offended with him. Jesus goes, and spent some time in his own hometown. And these are the people that have known him since he was young. And they're just going, are you kidding me? That is Jesus. They weren't just not listening. They were offended by it. These people are looking at Jesus and they're going, this is that same guy that played little league baseball and was arguing with an umpire. This is the same guy that got his driver's license and driving all around as a, as a high school kid. And not those things, but those kinds of things. And they're, 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 they're going, that's, that's just Jesus, the carpenter of Nazareth. That is, not, that is not the Son of God. The disciples have to be going, are you crazy, Jesus? These are the people that don't like you. These are the people that don't respect you. These are the people that say the church is stupid. These are the people that are saying the church is taking up all the tax dollars. These are the people that are saying that the church is a bunch of brainwashed people in there. Why in the world would you make yourself accessible to them? And Jesus is looking at him and I think he's saying because this news it's too good. It's too good. This news of my love and my grace and my mercy and my forgiveness is too good to keep it from even them. See he's looking at him he's going my my love is too powerful. This relationship is too important. And this news is too good. And the disciples started putting it all together. And they started to see it when he's interacting with Nicodemus, a a member of the Jewish ruling council. And they're going, ah, man, he's going, his, his love is too powerful not to talk to him. There he goes again. When, he's talking to, when he goes to Samaria, where Jewish people never went, and he went to Samaria, and he sat down on the edge of a well, and he listened to that woman's story, on the, uh, 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 this woman at a well. He listened to her story, her whole story, and the disciples had to be going, yeah, that relationship, it's too important for him to not, do, not engage. When those kids, a bunch of kids are coming towards him, and the disciples try to intercept the kids and say, no, leave them alone. And Jesus says, let the little kids come to me. Why? Because my love's powerful. Why? Because this relationship's important. Why? Because this news, it's so good, it's even good for a six-year-old. I want them to come to me. Man, he just kept going. And you just keep seeing it throughout scripture. All the way to his death. You guys, when Jesus was on the cross, And he had nails in his hands and nails in his feet. He is on the cross and he still has one more conversation. He's on the cross and there's somebody else on a cross next to him. A criminal on a cross, probably a murderer. And Jesus is up there on that cross in his own place where he's about to die. And he's having one more conversation. At this point, I can picture the disciples sitting over there and I can picture someone else saying something from behind him. Just going, what is he doing? Is he condoning the action of a murderer? Why is he talking to him? He's supposed to be the king of kings. He's supposed to be the son of God. What's he talking to that guy for? And I can picture the disciples turning to him and going, oh, he's been doing this his whole life. Oh, I guarantee you he's looking at that guy and he's going, my love is too powerful not to talk to him. Oh. Oh. This relationship, I guarantee you, he's looking at that relationship and he's going, That relationship is too important for him not to talk to him, even out on the cross. And, and he's looking at him, he's going, And you know what? That, that news, he knows that's too good a news not to share. I could see the disciples going, I'll bet you anything he's talking to that guy about paradise. Man, all the way through. He made himself accessible. He took bricks off the wall and helped them to engage in him. And even when he rose from the dead and appeared before his disciples, even at that moment, he looks to his best friends, and he knows one of them is dying of doubt, struggling like crazy in his own doubt. And he's going, you know what? My love is too powerful for your doubt to get in the way. I'm here, right here with you, Thomas. And he knows one of his closest friends, probably his, the closest friend he's got, is struggling with shame, struggling with the decisions that he made and the shame that he has. And Jesus is going, this relationship, Peter, way too important to let your shame get in the way. I'm going to take those bricks off and we're going to engage you guys, that has been super convicting for me as I've been walking through this. I've been so fired up from it and it's been convicting through it because I start asking the question, I ask a couple of things, I start asking, am I letting that sink in myself? Am I thinking am I letting it sink in that his love is powerful in my life? Am I letting it sink in that this relationship is important? Am I letting it sink in that this this news is really good for me? And then am I living an accessible life? Am I living an accessible life with my neighbors and my friends? Am I living an accessible life with my kids and the people at the gym and the woman checking out my groceries and the bank teller and my oppressive boss or my messy roommate or the person that I really like or the person that I don't like at all? Am I, am, I, am I living an accessible life? Do we ever ask that question? Maybe we should. It's what, the way Jesus lived his life. Or are we holding back? Are we holding back by our actions or by our thoughts or our words or our motives? Are we saying to somebody, this love is not powerful enough for you? because I believe something different than you and I'm not going to engage in you, this love isn't powerful for you. This relationship's not important to you. This news isn't good, isn't good enough for you. Are we holding back? Are we holding back because of the color of someone's skin? You just don't want to engage because of that. Are you holding back because of the bad choices they made and it's not worth my time because they keep making bad choices and so I don't even want to engage with them? Are we holding back because of their political preference? Uh Uh-oh. Watch this. Trump. See how the room separates. Have we ever seen anything more polarizing? We have, but but come on. Are you holding back because somebody supports Trump? Are you holding back? Are you going, man, I don't want to engage with that. Are you holding back because somebody doesn't support the president? Are you you saying, I don't even want to engage in that. Oh, did I just talk about politics in here? And now all of a sudden I've lost half of you guys. Jesus did not hold back. Are you holding back because somebody identifies themselves as part of the LGBTQ plus community? Are you saying to them, you, this love is not for you. It's not powerful. This relationship's not important. This news—it's not good. Are we holding back? Are we are we are we letting our our beliefs or our actions or our thoughts or our words get in the way? Are you holding back from that Muslim neighbor of yours because you're going, "What was well, so what?" What good? What I don't, I don't, I don't relate. Are you holding back because they're just not like me, or because I just don't want to be inconvenienced? Are we holding back? Am I holding back? And here to say, you guys, man, we want to be an accessible church. We want to be a church that if you've got doubts, there is a powerful love that will reach and get right in between your doubts and that will address your doubts. We want this to be an accessible place where if if you are walking in shame, if you've walked in here today in shame for something you have done, we want this to be an accessible place where a relationship is very important and where news is good. You're walking hiding something. You have something inside that you're so hiding and you don't want it to come out because you are afraid of condemnation or judgment and you can't tell your story and you're living just not not being able to even address your story. We want this to be a place where it's accessible for you to come to the foot of the cross where the playing field is leveled out. He's made himself accessible to you. And we want this to be a place that's accessible for you. We want this building to be accessible for you. We want, we want this to be a place where, where anybody could come in and, and, and there might not be a lot of religious stuff that you'd see around here, but that's intentional because if someone came walking in for the Monarch Palms banquet and it might've taken one cinder block off of that wall, then it's worth it to make this place accessible. We want we want, when we go out and we serve in places, we want to just make this accessible to anybody. We want to, we want to pour out love on our teachers. And some people might go, why would you spend so much money on teachers? One, because we love them. And two, because aren't teachers also walking with walls? Some with bigger walls than others. And we're going to tear down some walls. We're going to take a brick down. You guys know in two weeks, we are gonna go around to 10 different schools in Louisville, Superior, Broomfield, and Lafayette, 10 different schools we've identified, and we are gonna cater lunch for them. On the day that the kids don't go to school and the teachers have to, we're catering lunch for 10 schools. And you might say, why would we do that? Because we're taking cinder blocks down and we wanna make this accessible. Because love is powerful. Because the relationship is important because this news is stinking good, so we're going to make it accessible. When they come in here, some of you might ask, why do we have climbing walls and zebras in August in our parking lot? Why do we have chickens at Easter? If a climbing wall helps my neighbor bring their kid here, and takes one brick off the wall, then let's make it a 50-foot climbing wall for him because we want to make it accessible because Jesus made it accessible. Are you letting it sink into your own life? Are we letting it sink in? His love is powerful for you and me. Are we letting it sink in? The relationship he has with each one of us is important. And are we letting it sink in that his news of love and grace and forgiveness, and it's good news. And then are we making that accessible to somebody else? Father, we pray. We pray that you would help us to First, let that sink in ourselves. And then we pray, Lord, that we would be people that would go all out, no reservation, all out. In hearing people's stories, in building relationships, in in sharing love, in recognizing power, in enjoying good news. God, help us to be a church that, that embraces and loves and makes this place accessible to you. And that you do your work. God, may we always have toilet paper hanging from a screen in our sanctuary. Because we are making it accessible. God, we just want to follow in your footsteps.